0: Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. As she said, we uh, have been in a series tracing our way through first and second Samuel. Samuel is part of what's called the Old Testament, which is the Bible that comes uh, before Jesus. And at its heart, it's about um, this nation Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, and their desire for a king. But not just any king, a king like the nations, a king that would go out, fight battles, and be victorious for them, and so God gave them what they wanted—a man named Saul. But it didn't go well. Uh, now uh, God is raising up a new king, a man named David. And so we've been following the Saul-David saga story. And last week we saw uh, we saw Saul's jealousy just overtake him. And between our text last week and this week, uh, Saul has been on the hunt. He has been trying to work the scenes to get David killed, get his life taken. And so our text today, uh, as Saul is still on the hunt, is going to bring up a uh, pretty simple, straightforward question that's got a bit of a complex answer. Here's the question. When attacked, how do you respond? When attacked, how do you respond? And if we're going to learn from our text today and be able to take anything away, we've got to acknowledge this, that not all attack is with a spear right? Not every time you're attacked, it's somebody firing a spear at you. It's also not, uh, not, not all the same, right? So not all attack is direct attack. There's direct and there's indirect attack. So direct, uh, your roommate sits you down and says, hey, you know what? I, I just think that you are incredibly disrespectful to me and you don't care about my stuff. Might be true, but it's still going to feel like an attack in that moment. Uh, indirect, somebody posts something on social media that offends you. Right, somebody posts a blanket statement about DACA, but you're one of the 800,000. Or somebody posts a generic statement about all Trump voters, and you're one of them. Uh, Maybe it's about, um, you know, the right way to educate your children, or for that matter, the right way to birth your child. Direct, indirect, still going to feel like you're being attacked. And so here's our question, when attacked, how do you respond? David's going to answer for us, but before we get to his answer, we're going to see his humanity, which I hope is encouraging to all of us. So let's go verse 1. When Saul, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, "Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. All right, here's the scene leading up into chapter 24. Here's what just happened. David, uh, Saul, was on the hunt for David, but then the Philistines, they come in, they attack. Saul gets his attention diverted. David gets away, but now Saul is back on the move, and he's back on the move after David with 3,000 men, which was five times what David had with him. And so uh, you guys know the movie Footloose? Yeah, there we go. 1980s pop culture reference right there. I'm a kid of the 80s, actually from the 70s. It doesn't matter. Um, you know that scene at the end where it's like, yeah, tough guy, it's five to one? That's what's happening right here. Five to one. Let's keep reading. <laughs> and he came, and he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. We need to stop and talk about this. (laughs) Relieve himself, this is a Hebrew idiom for going number two. True story, I'm not making it up. Um, and it's not in there, uh, it's not in there simply because a nine-year-old wrote this and thought, oh, this will be funny, or a teenager crafted Sam and was like, this will be the ultimate prank right here. For thousands of years, they'll be laughing at our joke, right? That's not why it's in there. It's in there because when you're going Hebrew idiom for number two, when you're doing that, you are alone, or at least you should be. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I feel like we were not on the same page there for a minute, which makes me uncomfortable right now. (laughs) But if he's alone, what does that mean? That means he's vulnerable. He's defenseless. He's open. He's wide open for attack. Let's keep reading. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Listen to this. David's got his men around him. They, they, they know Saul. He's right there. He's sitting, squatting. I don't exactly know what they did in their culture, but he's right in front of us. And his men come to David and say, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So David's men come around him and say, hey, David, David, hey, boy, come here. He's right there. And listen, this is the day. This is the day when God said he was going to put your enemy in front of you. This man has tried to kill you 14 times, and God said he would put him in front of you, and here he is. This is the day. Do with him as you please. But here's the problem, God never said that. They're quoting nothing. If you want evidence that God didn't say it, proof? A way to see that this is not from God? The book of Samuel picks up where the book of Judges left off. The book of Judges is part of the Old Testament where it's tracing this history in the nation of Israel that was really rough. There was a lot of apostasy, And it finishes like this. All of Israel, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And the book of Samuel is about reversing that. And what did David's men say to David? Hey, look, he's right there. Do what seems right to you. Hey, whatever is right in your eyes, David, do it. Listen, David, there is... 14 times, David, he's tried to take your life. There is nothing that would not be justified that you could do to him. Right in your own eyes, David, go do it. Whatever it is, do it. See, here's a, the, the first thing that we learn from these men is we get a picture of what our natural response is when attacked, right? I'm attacked, you come after me, I get to fight back, right? Because whatever you did to me that's unjust, I get to return injustice in response, and that becomes just. They get a picture, they give us a picture of our natural, instinctive response. But the second thing we learn from these men is how important our words are to one another because it keeps going and says, then David, then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. The word then, simply a Hebrew conjunctive linking their words with David's actions. And what were his actions? He stealthily went over and cut off a corner of the robe. That, that word stealthily, that's our, that's our best effort at, a, uh, at translating the word secretly. He secretly went over and cut off the robe. Now, let me give you some Bible 101. This is basic um, Christian living 101. If it has to be done in secret, it's likely not good. Actually, that's not Christian 101. That's just like human ethics 101. If it has to be done in secret, it's likely not good. So let me pause and say something about our parishes. If you're uh, new to Sojourn, second, third, fourth, fifth time, uh, wondering what a parish is, what it isn't, let me, let me say this. Parishes are not Bible studies. They're, they're not. They're smaller communities living as family. And if the word family is weird to you, I totally get it. Um, but the reason we use it is because it's the primary metaphor for the church. So we might as well strive to live who we already are smaller communities living as family, but they are smaller families where the Bible is central. And let me tell you why the Bible has to be central. Because we need to be able to know that if you and I are meant to live the life and the teachings of Jesus, we need to be able to recognize when someone comes to us and says, hey, God said, when God didn't say, we need to know that. All right, so let me give you an example. When someone comes to you and says, Hey, listen, I, I, I know you're struggling and I, and I get it, but, but here's the deal. God just wants you to be happy. You need to know that's not in the Bible. If you don't know that's in the, if you don't know that's not in the Bible, let me tell you where it could lead. It could lead to you secretly dating somebody you never should have been dating in the first place. It, it could lead it down a thousand secret roads. We need to be able to know this is or this is not something that God said. But here's a question. Here's a question. Why the need to cut a robe in secret? I mean, think about it. Saul is sitting there right out in front of him. David doesn't kill him. He doesn't take the spear. I mean, David just a, a, a few chapters ago took down Goliath with a slingshot. He has all the weapons necessary to take a man doing that. Why the need to do it in secrets? See, cutting the robe was not just a random act, but the cutting of the robe was a sign of rebellion. Peter Lightheart said it like this. He said his robe was a sign of the office, the office of being king. And tearing the robe was a sign of the kingdom being taken from Saul. You see, if we put ourselves in David's shoes, David's sitting there. Saul is right in front of him. Saul, who has tried to take my life 14 times, and I can almost see and feel the inner turmoil, the struggle in David's life. Like, here's my chance. Like, he's right there in front of me. Here is my chance chance. But here's what I'm going to do. Instead of actually, instead of like taking his life and actually taking the kingdom from him, I'm just going to do the symbolic act. I'm going to cut the rope. So here's what David did. David chose the lesser of two evils. He chose the lesser of two evils. And I wonder how he felt about that. We don't have to wonder long, he tells us. Verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him. His heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What does it mean that his heart struck him? Well, that phrase uh, was used one other time in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel 24, and here it is. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O oh Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So here's what it meant. It, it, it meant that he saw what he did as sin that needed to be repented of. And There's a wordplay going on in the, in the Hebrew that the original reader would have caught on to. They would have heard it. It would have flagged them back to something. But it says, it struck him. Struck, it's the word that had been used when Saul took the spear, fired it at uh, David, but it missed David and struck the wall. David saying that my actions, what I've just done, has struck my heart as if a spear struck the wall. It's a picture of repentance. And here's what's encouraging. David is a beautiful foreshadow of Jesus but he's not him. He's not him. He's not the one to come. He's the one who would be the forerunner to the one to come. He's an imperfect man, just like I and you are imperfect men and women. And I hope that is encouraging. So how does he respond to this? Let's keep reading verse six. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. He responds by holding his men back, not letting them attack Saul, and letting Saul just walk right out of the cave. And what he does next. I had to stop and read twice. Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. This, This scene right here was just astounding to me when I read it. This is This is the man who has 14 times tried to take your life. You let him walk out of the cave, but you don't just let him walk out of the cave. You follow him out of the cave and you call out to Saul. Saul, and then when he turns around, you bow down and pay honor to this king who has 14 times tried to take your life. And the way that one commentator said this baffling scene, he said it's a glimpse into the heart of David, that David aware of Saul's imperfections, paid respect to his human authority out of his respect for divine authority. And so we keep reading because we're about to hit this climactic scene. Verse nine, and David said it to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Now, we, we said um, repeatedly through this series. we're going to say it again, that if you want to understand the book, uh, Samuel, First and Second Samuel, you can't read it like a legal brief. Nothing wrong with legal briefs, but can't read it like a legal brief. You've got to read it like a play like a script of a play or a movie with scenes, and you've got to be able to see the story and put yourself there. You've got to be able to feel the emotion of what is happening right now in the life of David. You've got to feel what it must have felt like to be David sitting there in front of Saul going, hey, listen, I, I was there. You were in a cave. Remember that cave not long ago? I was right there. I had my chance, Saul. I could have taken your life. You didn't even see me coming. I could have taken your life, but I spared you. I spared you. I didn't have to spare you, Saul, but I did. I was there. You were there. I could have taken your life. Well, you want, you want proof, Saul? You want proof? Look down at your robe, Saul. Look, what's missing, Saul? Here it is. It's in my hand. It's right here could have taken your life, Saul. No, I shouldn't have done that. But I could have taken your life. I didn't. The kingdom that belongs to me was right in front of me, Saul. But I spared you. And because I did, verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you but my hand shall not be against you. You see, here's the difference in Saul and David. It's really an outgrowth of what we said last week. Last week we said the fundamental difference, a central theme in this Saul-David story. David, the Lord is with me. Five words that are distinct. The Lord is with me. And here's an outgrowth of that. Here's the difference. Saul, I'm my judge and avenger. I fight my battles for me. David, the Lord is my judge and avenger. He fights my battles for me. Saul, the Lord is my defender. David, that's not true. Saul, I am my defender. David, the Lord is my defender. So here's our simple answer to our simple question When attacked, what do you do, directly or indirectly? Here's the answer Be like David. Let God be your defender. Be like David. Let God be your defender. But here's the problem Be like David. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work unless the story is not about David, but about one who was to come, who Satan would offer up his kingdom to. One who, like David, wouldn't simply just take it, but unlike David, wouldn't even do it symbolically. One who, under unjust judgment, wouldn't defend himself. One who was judged on the cross so that the Father could avenge him in his resurrection. One who can look you in the eye and say, I was judged so that you would be spared. You know what David gave to Saul? He gave him imperfect, temporal mercy. You know what Jesus gives to you? Perfect, eternal mercy. Be like David, doesn't work. Unless it's about, unless the story is about the one who was judged and avenged by the Father to become our defender, you see, when you, by faith, have been united to Christ, you have been united to the one who was judged on your behalf so that he could become your defender so that you wouldn't have to be yours. So that you wouldn't have to be yours. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means that we can live Psalm 54. See, Psalm 54 was written by David while he was on the run from Saul. And this is what he said. Oh God, Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Verse four, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. It means that when you're passed over for the promotion that you deserved, you don't have to argue your merits until you're red in the face because you can speak directly to the Father who hears your prayer. It means that when your reputation is slandered, you don't have to call everybody that you know making sure they know the true story. Because Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection and all the vindication that you need. It means that when you have Saul's after you and life simply isn't fair, The Spirit is your help in times of trouble. You see, you have Christ. And with Christ, you have all you will ever need. You don't need a promotion. You don't need reputation. And you don't need life to be fair. You have him. You have him. So what's my action plan, Brandon? What do I do? What do I do with this? What's my next step? Sorry. On this one, I can't give a next step. This one, you simply need to know who he is and who you are. You simply need to know that he is the one who is judged on your behalf to become your defender so that you wouldn't have to spend your life frantically trying to be your own. But if you must have a next step, you have to have it. Let me try this one. Next time you are attacked, direct or indirect, breathe. Breathe. God is with you. God is for you. He is your defender. You don't have to be your own. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are a thousand things left unsaid on this topic. I ask that you would take These words, and you would multiply them into every area of our life. That we would learn what it means to live Psalm 54. To know that you are the vindicator of our lives. To know that we can live like David and live repentant lives when needed. I pray we'd be men and women continually growing in our knowledge of the words that you have spoken so that we might know. We might know what is from you and what is not. Make us that kind of community and that kind of people. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.